you know, is it uh, waterways are actually, uh, if you think about the big cities that you know of in the States, Erie, for crying out loud, uh, built on the, the waterways, the, the rivers and lakes and uh, the Gulf, the oceans. There, there are great opportunities for flourishing for uh, advanced transportation and communication and medical help and fiscal imperialism, if that's where you're, you're at. A lot of opportunities for major cities, major gatherings of people on the waterways. And so we find many of our major cities there. Uh, in an effort to make some of the land more habitable and more usable, uh, it's kind of on the waterways, but as you can imagine, during flood season and all that, it kind of messes things up. Levees were constructed. If you think of levee, it's kind of like big uh, uh, sides along a river or along the waterfront to keep the water where it's supposed to stay during flood stage or a storm surge or something along those lines. Uh, and therefore, you know, these levees is fantastic because, again, it, it provides a lot of folk living in these areas great opportunity that they might not have otherwise for jobs and all those sort of things. So life on the waterways can be a double thumbs up thing. You know, try to buy real estate by the lake, right? It's very, very, very nice. Unless the levees aren't real strong or unless there's a major storm coming. In 2005, we can remember Katrina came across Florida as a hurricane category one storm, hit the Gulf, and as it crossed the, the Gulf, it picked up velocity. Velocity. As a matter of fact, it was, it was categorized as a number five at one point. But by the time it hit the land again, it was a number three category storm. Uh, in that and of itself, though, over 1,500 people lost their lives. 80% of New Orleans was underwater. $105 billion in damage. You know, it blows my mind. $1 billion, $999 million, plus another one. $105 billion in damage is done. That's a, that's a lot. And after it was all done, everyone's pointing at each other and blaming each other and all those things. All the investigations, all the study pointed back that it wasn't, it wasn't the strength of the storm. Though Katrina was a strong storm. But it was the weakness of the levees that caused the problem. It wasn't the, the, the storm was so powerful, it's that the levees were so weak. It was poor design, it was budget cuts, it was not a lot of maintenance. And so if you're living in one of those places, the only thing that separates you and disaster, really, is the strength of the levees, as is in the natural world, so in the spiritual world. Let me give you an example. Two people, and these folk are real people in my life, but they represent categories of people that you, you probably know of. Um, first girl I'm going to call Sheila. Sheila grew up in a church like this, evangelical, solid church, raised at VBS and Sunday school and youth retreats and mission trips, and she went to Bible college and she met a, a great guy, a pastor, and they served, and she served in the church for 15 years. She discipled women and sang up here, all those wonderful things. But then the storms began to, to blow of hurricane proportion and by the time the storm was done she was done she was done with god with the church she served her husband one last time divorce papers and she was gone and you might say well you know when you realize the storm she went through wow she's poor gal is just a victim of the storm and that would blow anybody over for crying out loud second person and i referred to this guy a couple of weeks back mike was his name is his name. Uh, 
went down to Bolivia, missionary. Uh, met a gal down there, single missionary gal. They got married, and uh, Marge was diagnosed with breast cancer, came back to the States, went through all that rigmarole. After a year, it looked like she was doing well. Then he was diagnosed with cancer, and they went through a whole year of stuff with him. He started gaining his strength back, and it looked fine. Her cancer came back with a vengeance, as it often does. Seven months later, they buried Marge, leaving Mike to raise Amanda there. I think Amanda was three at the time by himself. Uh, they were home stateside for two years, and then Mike decided, Mike, his heart was always there, he just wasn't sure if his cancer was coming back soon, that God had called him to Bolivia. And so he went back. He took Amanda with him. He's, Amanda's graduating from high school this year in, in, in Bolivia. He'd since met another gal. Uh, but you look at, at the storm that he went through. And you know what? His faith was not destroyed by the storm. It was sharpened. It was purified. He's more in love with Christ today than he's ever been. And so I don't think you can look at these two people and say, well, her storm, Sheila's storm, was stronger than Mike's. And I don't know if you can go down the road of saying, well, it's a personality thing. See, his personality, it's, 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 the issue is not the strength of the storm, it's the strength of the levee. Now, I think you would uh, agree with me, though, that the time to build a levee is not in the middle of the storm, right? It's like, whoa, hurricane's coming, I guess we better get to work. No, 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 forget it at that point. It's just too late. Run, right? You're, you're, it's just not going to happen. And, of course, a lot of folk, when life starts going wrong, that's when they decide it's time to build the levee. Well, you know, it's almost too late. You're grateful, and sometimes God will use that in in your heart. But if you're going to try to build something that's going to give you strength to withstand the storm, it's almost too late. The time to build a levee is when the sun is shining and the, the water's down. It's the time when you don't feel like it's time to build it. That's the time to build it. Here's the issue. Storms will come, and they're going to come your life and my life. Sometimes little ones, sometimes Katrina-type ones, you're going to get hit. And when it does, you're right now maybe up in the big group. Sheila and Mike are up there together. But after the storm, you're going to be singled out. You're going to go into one category or the other. Where will you end up? And where you end up is going to be directly dependent on the strength of the spiritual levies in your life. So how do you build these? Real important question. Now, we're going through a study on the book of Philippians. And Philippians was like a poster child of the healthy New Testament church. These guys were were, were great. These guys uh, bled with Paul's heart for for missions. They they desired, they were partners in in the gospel. They sacrificed. If you get into 2 Corinthians 8 and 9, Paul talks about the churches of Macedonia. It's these guys, Philippi. And how they sacrificed. When they didn't have anything, they sacrificed to see the gospel go forth. These guys were a solid group. Solid group. And so Paul's basically, the book of Philippians is a thank you note. He's just writing a note saying thanks. But he's their spiritual father. And he knows something is brewing under the surface there. And he knows that just starting off well, there's no guarantee you're going to finish well. We all know people who've abandoned and who've walked. May we not end up in that Sheila category. And he doesn't want the the, the saints at Philippi to end up there either. And so he addresses something very important. If you've got your Bibles, I trust that you do. Turn with me, Philippians chapter 4. Philippians 4. 
And in verse 1, it says, Therefore, my brothers, you whom I love and long for, my joy and crown, that is how you should stand firm in the Lord, dear friends. The standing firm. This is what, it's, this is what he's talking about, is perseverance. It's, it's standing strong in the midst of uh, what society, culture, circumstances, seem to, when they all seem to be against your faith. And according to D.A. Carson, what this verse is, is it's a transitory verse. In other words, he's saying, all the stuff that came before, that's how you stand firm. But also, Paul's saying, I'm going to give you some specifics on how to stand firm uh, in the future. And so what's following, the rest of chapter 4, he's kind of bulleting, bam, 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 some not just random thoughts, but some ways we can stand firm. And so we're just going to deal with one of them this, this morning. And it's in verse 2. And here, let me give you the big idea here. We're going to be talking about all morning, and that's this. Standing firm requires relational integrity. Standing firm requires relational integrity. What in the world is he talking about? What does that mean? Well, let's, let's read. Uh, verse 2. It says, I plead with Yodia, and I plead with Syntyche to agree with each other in the Lord. Yes, and I ask you, loyal yoke fellow, help these women who have contended at my side in the cause of the gospel, along with Clement and the rest of my fellow workers whose names are in the book of life. Now, you know, it shouldn't surprise us that the, the one issue going on in the church of Philippi, the one thing that could derail the church is relational. I think that we would agree. If we were to share with each other number one pain in your life, and we would be honest, we would say stuff like, well, I've got this child, and we're just kind of estranged in our relationship. Or, I've got this sister, and you know what? We used to be really close, and something happened 10 years ago, and we haven't spoken since. Or, you know, my former spouse, or, you know, I had this, this best friend. Well, you know, at least I thought they were my best friend. Relational pain is, is the issue. You, you know what they say is the number one reason why missionaries come back from the field prematurely? I mean, other than, than health, number one reason why missionaries come back from the field prematurely is because they can't get along with other missionaries. Isn't that amazing? It's amazing. It's not even you can't get along with pagan nationals. You would expect that. But you would think missionary, hey, they've sacrificed everything to go to the field. They obviously have a degree of godliness, right? It can't be all a scam for everybody. There's, there's a degree of godliness there. Uh, and missionary B, they've given up everything to go. You would think that relational integrity, this would be a, a no-brainer. It would be easy. But what this tells us, don't be judging, right, and looking at them, but look at us to say, relationships are incredibly difficult. Sometimes it's just easy to turn tail and run when things start going south, isn't it? It's just easy to have a relational graveyard in the backyard versus try to work on this stuff because relationships are just messy. And Paul knows that. And that's the issue that could derail this church. Now notice these gals, Yodia and Syntyche. Notice what Paul's calling them out for here. It's very, very interesting. And, and he's not hammering them because of immorality or idolatry 
or laziness or greed or materialism or matter of fact these gals are gals that contend for the gospel I mean these gals are sacrificially giving it they're rolling up their sleeves there's no question in my mind that the church at Philippi could not have done what it has done without the Yodias and the Syntyches we need more Yodias and Syntyches they've given everything but they weren't getting along real well. Now, Paul has, this has been on his heart, the whole letter. But he's kind of like, not sure if he should put it on the table or not. He's been hinting at this. One twenty-seven. Whatever happens, conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. Then whether I come and see you or only hear about you in my absence, I will know that you stand firm in one spirit, striving together as one. For the faith of the gospel. Now, initially when you read that, oh, yeah, I'm not sure what that means, but okay. But now with the Yodian Syntyche thing going on, you can kind of see what Paul might be hinting at. Oh, chapter 2. He says, therefore, if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if any comfort from his love, if any common sharing in the spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and one mind. Oh, verse 3 and 4. He says, Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves, not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of others. Is he thinking about Yodian Syntyche? 2, 14, I think it is. Do everything without grumbling or arguing. This is where Paul is. He's, he's, he's got this in his mind. And suddenly he comes here. And it's like he's been thinking, oh, maybe I'm just going to try the subtle approach for a while and see if that works. And then, maybe we're just going to try to come at it sideways and hopefully they'll catch it and then we'll feel like we've actually... But Paul knows, you know, I've got to put this on the table. Now, this is pretty uncharacteristic of Paul, but can you, can you imagine? Can, can you imagine? Let's just assume you're Yodia or Syntyche and you came for church one Lord's Day morning. And have 50 people in the church of Philippi or whatever, and you're kind of there, and Yodia's sitting over on this side, and Syntyche's on this side. And the guy says, oh, you know, the elder, the pastor says, you know, we've been going through, probably Mark is written by this point, or Matthew, and maybe even Luke, and we've been going through the Gospels. But our brother Paul has sent us a letter, so we want to read that this morning. Yodia and Syntyche going, yeah, okay, that's fine. Well, he's reading it through, and all of a sudden he gets to this place. I plead with Yodia. And I plead with Syntyche to agree with each other. Can you imagine how embarrassing that might be to be called out in front of everybody? But if Paul's doing that, he probably is doing it because he knows everyone in the church knows this division. He's doing this because he knows that perhaps the church is starting to polarize. You've got the Syntyche crowd over here and the Yodia crowd over here. And these gals, right? Remember, what, what, they're, they're probably arguing over ministry. Isn't that fascinating? How best to do ministry? Can you imagine a church where there's discontent going on in the ladies' ministry? Can you imagine a church where there's two Sunday school teachers battling it out? Can you imagine a church where there's a couple of elders kind of got a power thing going, where there's some people in the congregation who just are not seeing eye to eye with each other. Someone who's got a better idea how to do this one. Someone's got a better idea how to do that one than those people. But can you imagine? This is, this is life, isn't it? This is the church. I've been in many of them my whole life. This is just pretty much the way it is. But Paul knows that this thing 
is got the power to derail the church, to sink it. And maybe he's thinking of things like what Jesus said, John 13. John 17, excuse me, we'll get to 13 in a second. My prayer is not for them alone. I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message. That's us, he's praying for us. That all of them may be one, Father, just as you are in me and I am in you. May they also be in us, that the world may believe that you sent me. This this division thing has the power to derail the whole mission of why we're supposed to exist. John 13 says, by this, everyone will know that you're my disciples if you have love for one another. You know, I wish we had time to look at the Apostle Paul. This is fascinating when you look through Acts. Real brief. When Paul is preaching the gospel to Jewish people, he is quoting the Old Testament. He's bringing up illustrations of Abraham and Isaac and Ram. And he's got all these. He is, he's preaching the gospel to them in a context they understand. But you get to Acts 17. And he's at Athens, and there are Greeks. And he never quotes the Old Testament. You know who he quotes? Epicurean and Stoic philosophers. He's like quoting the People magazine type thing. He, he, he is, he's presenting the same gospel. Gospel never changes, but he wraps it differently for this culture. But that tells me that we have to be strategic. We should be thinking through how best to reach our culture. Maybe ways to reach the culture today and with these people might differ. However... This is the bedrock. You can go through all the strategy stuff you want, but if there's division in the body, it's all for naught. The number one way Christ said, if you're going to reach, the reason why we're going to reach is because there is no division, because a, a place where there's as many people and there's love is so radical people in the world. It's something that the world can't reduplicate. They can come here and see that. Oh my goodness, I need to be a part of that. I need to be a part of that deal. So Yodia and Satyke were not able to agree. You notice, though, it's interesting, too, that Paul's not taking sides here, right? This is real, real important. That Paul's not saying, now listen, Satyke, hang on, Yodia's actually in the right on this one. Or, you know what, I've been around, I've been an apostle, I'm just telling you, Yodia, Syntyche's nail in this one. Or it's not even that one of the gals was promoting something that was bad stewardship and the other gal was promoting something that was right or the other person is promoting something that is, is somewhat deceptive. And Paul doesn't take a stand, which tells me that there's not a sin issue. Is it just a difference issue? Can it, is it possible to have a difference issue and not make it a sin issue? Now, I bet... That Yodia thought Syntyche was wrong, sinful. And that Syntyche probably thought Yodia the same thing. But Paul doesn't take sides here. He just says, I plead with you. Now, that word's important. I plead. It's not a byproduct thing. It's not like a, oh, yeah, oh, yeah, yeah, by the way, almost forgot. Oh, now, now this is pleading. This has been on his heart the whole time. When you plead, your heart bleeds. That's what it means. He's just burned with this because he knows it could derail the church. He pleads. You have to try to put this together. Now, what Paul is not saying, make sure we understand this. Paul is not saying unity at the expense of truth. He's not saying that. Listen, Yodias and Tychia, it doesn't really matter what you believe. Let's just all get together and love each other. Let's just love, love each other. It doesn't matter what you believe. This is not what Paul's saying. Uh, 1 Corinthians 5, 11. 
Paul says, but now I'm writing to you that you must not associate with anyone who claims to be a brother or sister, but is sexually immoral or greedy, an idolater or slanderer, a drunkard, a swindler. Do not even eat with such people. After I put this up, I thought I should probably have put the context. Let me back up a couple of verses. We don't have it on the screen. Harris paraphrase. He says, when I wrote to you not to associate with such people, I did not at all mean people of the world like this, because then you would have to go out of the world. But instead, what I'm talking about is people in the church. This is why I wrote to you that anyone who claims to be a brother who's living like this. In other words, what Paul is saying, you see this? Paul is not wishy-washy on the truth. He's not saying, let's just all get together. It doesn't matter what you're doing. No, no, that's not Paul. Truth is, we don't negotiate that. He's not saying that, which makes me again think that the audience in Tyche, it wasn't a truth issue. It was just a difference, methodology, personality thing. But they had turned into a sin thing. Now, this is important for us. When I'm struggling with somebody, it may not be a sin issue. I want it to be a sin issue. Because if they're sinful, see, then I got God on my side. I win. But it may not be a sin issue. It may just be a difference issue. Now, this is not the problem. But the problem is when I see the difference and I grow bitter and I let there be division and disunity and all the stuff that comes with that, now there's sin. The issue may not have been sin, but the way I respond to it may be sin. That's real, real important for us to look at, for us to, to, to realize. Also, Paul is not saying this. Paul's not saying, you know, unity at the sake of, of truth. He's also not saying that he requires that we all agree with everything, that we all have every single secondary point of doctrine we agree with. Check out Romans 14 and 15. One day we will do a series on this. This is an important text. I love this text. And in this text, he's talking to believers who have different interpretations of Scripture. Different interpretations. And Paul doesn't take a side per se. And he doesn't say you both have to change your ways. He says, "Ah, just let it go. Just let it go. He doesn't require that we hold the, the, the line exactly with each other. What Paul is saying here, though, is Paul is saying, if you want to stand firm, you cannot stand firm without relational integrity. It's a lot easier, I'm telling you. I know, and you in the church, you know. It's a lot easier to go to a Bible study and to memorize Scripture. It's easier. It's just kind of me. and it's, that's. But if you don't have relational integrity, Paul says you're not strong. And when the Katrinas will blow in, you will be blown off. Or maybe you'll stay in a hypocritical deal but you won't be effective for the gospel. Because if, in fact, you're going to be strong, you have to have that relational integrity. Um, Several years ago, someone shared something with me that was helpful. Um, They said, Mark, because I was bemoaning the different Yodias and Syntyches, and they're all out to lunch. He said, Mark, you need to understand that, that, first of all, you don't need to be best friends with everybody. Your wallet's not big enough to hold everybody's picture. You don't need to be best friends with everybody. But then second of all, you need to understand that the kingdom of God is filled with dysfunctional, neurotic people, of which you are one. (laughs) All right, well, wonderful, wonderful. We are. We all have our idiosyncrasies and, and issues and baggage and stuff. And if you knew everything about me, you would not sit there and listen to me. 
And if I knew everything about you, I would not talk to you. We're all in desperate need of God's grace. And, and, and to understand that is, is helpful. Now, how, how do you respond? Uh, I've been in the, the church on staff since I was 22 years old. So about 30 years now, I've been on staff working with other And you need to know, in many of these situations, we'd get together and plan and lead. And I would share my wisdom and my discernment and my opinion and my thoughts. And then there have been many times where that department head would go off and blow off my counsel. You believe that? Fools, right? I mean, how undiscerning can you be? Don't you realize who you're talking My wisdom, and don't you know? And they would go do. And, and at that point... I'm offended and angry and all those things. I've got choices. And one thing I can do is I could decide to go on the attack. I mean, I can gossip with the best of them. And I can polarize the body. And I can help people who are following so-and-so thinking that so-and-so. I can help them see the truth because I know some truth. And I can polarize. And in my heart, I can undermine what they're doing and, and hope kind of that it falls apart. I would never say that, of course. But if it does crash, if you see the little smile that's in the bottom of your heart that no one else sees, then that lets you know that motivation is not real, real straight up here. That relational integrity is not there. I can go on the attack. And when I do... God is saying, you can't stand firm without relational integrity. I plead with you not to do that. I mean, that's the Holy Spirit saying, I plead with you not to do that. Second thing I can do is I can decide to be a little bit more mature and just take it underground. See, I'm not going to make a big thing about it, but I need to drop out of my life group or Sunday school class or ministry area or whatever else, and I'm not going to tell everybody all the reasons. I'm just too busy. And there's probably some truth to that. I'm a very busy person. But truth might be that I'm bitter, that I'm angry, that somebody, that group and that whatever, has done something to offend me. I'm just going to take it underground. And God says, if you want to stand firm, you have to exercise relational integrity. Uh, Tim Stafford in his book, Knowing the Face of God, I'm reading it with a couple of friends here in the church. Good book, out of print. But he he talks about how he would, uh, when he fell in love with, with his wife, his I guess, I guess this is her, her pet name, Poppy, he calls her. He said that she's from the Deep South. And he's from the North. He had nothing. But see, he would go visit her family, and they all talk strange, and they did all they have strange values. And he just wasn't interested in them at all. Kind of strange, neurotic group of people. But because he loved Poppy, he would go down and spend time with them and uh, try to enter into their life. And he says a strange thing happened over time. He began to love those people. And over time, what had started as a burden became a joy. And they were now family. I think as the body of Christ, sometimes we see each other and we bump up against each other and we run. When, if we love Jesus, we would recognize that these are, this is Jesus' family. And if we love him, we should probably love who he loves. 
And even if it doesn't come with a lot of uh, emotional, touchy-feely stuff on the front end, but we're obedient in time, what is a burden will become a joy. I can go on the attack, I can take it underground, or I can respond biblically. Now, a couple different things with this. Biblically, either, either A, it's just my issue. And you know what? Most often this is the truth. I just need to learn to overlook an offense. I need to be a little bit mature about this. I need to forgive. I think that's a biblical command. I need to love this other person. I need to extend grace. I need to forgive. And it's not an issue with them. It's an issue with me. We don't like to go there first because it's easier if it's their problem and not my problem. But most often, at least part of it, it's here. And perhaps I need to go no further. That's just what I need to do. But then, according to Matthew 18, a good portion of this is I've got to confront the person. I've got to talk to them. I've got to put it on the table. Now, I'm, I'm convinced that this is the number one disobeyed text in the Scripture. You know what? It is easy. I can read my Bible. I can work on my prayer life. You know, I can serve in the nursery if I have to. I can even think about tithing, you know, on, on, on the net, of course. I can think about that. But you ask me to do this? Oh, no, no. I've had mature people, spiritually mature people in the Bible. Tell me, you can't expect people to do that. Come on, no one's going to do that. Well, I'm not expecting them. I think Jesus is. He said, do this. Go. Matthew 18 is so clear. Yodian Satyki, work it out, is what he says. He expects it to happen. He expects it to go on. Now, we go and sometimes it doesn't work out, right? Have you been there? And uh, we go, well, well, there's some reasons why. Not, this is not only reasons, obviously, but sometimes we go with the wrong goal. Just be honest with me. You don't have to tell anyone else. Just be honest with, you, with me or yourself. The goal sometimes when I go is to win. I need, my goal is I need to hear them say, I'm sorry, you're right. That's my goal. My, my goal might be to convince them of what a stupid, foolish thing they've done. That's my goal. And sometimes we will fall into manipulation to get there, won't we? As soon as things start going wrong, we just pull out the manipulation. And I've just got to let you know how much you hurt me. And I've got to let you know how much you offended me. And so, well, that's... Manipulation is called emotional blackmail. It's hardly relational integrity. It's hardly putting the other person beyond myself. And when we do that, listen, do you really think? I mean, we've lived this life as I have. We can do the emotional blackmail thing. We can manipulate. If we really get the person to say, I'm sorry, if we get the person to fall in line with their behavior behind us, do we really think like-mindedness has transpired? Do we really think that unity has come about? Probably not. We really weren't looking for that on the front end, though, anyway, were we? We've probably just packed more black powder. And one day, it's going to blow. It's going to come back come back to haunt us. Now, I know what, what some of y'all are saying. I know someone's saying, you know, brought, some name has come to your mind. And it wasn't have, have to be a hard thing, Holy Spirit, or somebody kind of... And, and you're thinking, you know what, it's useless to go to them because they're not going to listen anyway. How many times have you heard that? They're not going to... We just project. We know how they're going to respond. And we're not going to go down and put ourselves and, and throw our... Cast our pearls before swine and those kind of things. We're not doing that. We're not going down that road. Even if... 
Syntyche decides, you know what, I'm digging in. She's going to be a big jerk about it. Yodia still has the command. She's got to seek to, to bring about agreement. I'm not seeking to be right. I'm seeking to bring about agreement. Help me understand where you're coming from. Help me understand what's going through your heart. Help me understand how you're seeing stuff and how you're wired to come up with that. Um, let me help you understand where I'm coming from. We're seeking ag- agreement. And if the other party is a jerk about it, you have to be able to say before God, Lord, I tried. I'm trying. I'm working on this. I know some of you might be saying, hey, listen, I'm not in the middle of a, a relational war right now, but I sure wish I could like roll up my sleeves and help some people who are in the middle of that. I just want to jump in between two warring parties and help them. I know some of y'all are saying that. I know you are. Look at the text. Look at the text. He says, yes, and I ask you, loyal yoke fellow, help these women who have contended at my side in the cause of the gospel along with Clement and the rest of my fellow workers whose names are in the book of life. Okay, so you're not contending with anybody. That's wonderful. But you know somebody who is contending with somebody else. Maybe someone has come to you and they've dumped and they've shared and you know from what they've shared that they really are hacked off at person A, B, C over here. They are really upset. And you can't, according to this text, go, well, you know, that's just between those two. I'm done. Oh, no, 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 no. God has just given you an incredible ministry opportunity. He calls you, calls me, true yoke fellow, that's faithful laborer. We need to be faithful to do what we need to do to bring the two warring parties together, to help them come to agreement. If there's a battle going on and we're aware of it, then we're in the middle of it. We know. We're, we're part of it. We're part of it. Um, relationships are crazy difficult, aren't they? They're, they're wonderful when they're going well. When they're not going well, oh, man. Oh, man. Uh, my dad, I want to honor my dad. Uh, he he uh, died in January 99. Uh, and I think... He, He would say, if he thought his story would help anybody, he'd want me to share it. But I remember my dad smoked cigarettes, started smoking when he was 12. His whole family, I'd go to his, his whole family smoked. I mean, they had like 10 brothers and sisters. They all got together and smoked. That's what they did. And uh, my dad would go one off the the tip of the other one. It was just, just multiple packs a day. And as a little boy, I remember one time, he's probably, my dad was probably about 30 at this point. My dad came home from uh, the doctor. I was waiting for him and, and in the front yard, and he parked in front of our house, small houses in Chicago, and he got out. He said, son, just been to the doctor. And then he pulled out a cool mile. That's what my dad smoked. He lit up. He said, yeah, doctor said, if I don't quit smoking these things, they're going to kill me one day. <laughs> As a little kid, I'm going, well, ah, that's what the doctor said. What are you doing for crying out loud? Stop it. Cut it out. What are you doing? He said, well, they're not going to kill me, son. When he was 61 years old, dying of advanced emphysema in the hospital, I went to see him, spent a lot of time there, and I was remember by his bedside one night, and he had his ventilator on, and all these things trying to help him live, and this was going to end up killing him. Uh, but I thought back to that conversation we had when I was eight, my dad was, was, was 30, 
And I thought, you know, my dad could have decided that, that he wasn't going to end up in a hospital room at 61 years of age dying of emphysema. He could have decided that. He could not have decided that at 61 when he had smoked his whole life. Now, it's too late to decide it then. But if he was back 30 years earlier... Perhaps he could have decided that. Now, maybe where you're at, Jesus would come to you today. And he, and he, would, he would say, if you're going to survive spiritually, you see, he would say, Katrina's coming. I'm telling you. I'm just telling you. I'm God and I know it. I'm telling you, it's coming. For you to stand firm, you're going to have to make some changes. You've got to have relational integrity. This, maybe your whole life has been just bearing the relationship when it goes wrong because you're, it's, it's, it's nerve-wracking. Well, yeah, it is a nerve-wracking thing. But if you're going to survive, you have to make changes. And, and to do that, maybe you're, you're 30 years old, as it were, right now. You can make those changes. So let me ask you, how are things going with folk in the church? Easy to leave the life group. It's easy to leave... The church. It's easy to leave wherever else when, when, when relationships go south. But, but if you do, if God does call you somewhere else, please make sure you've got that figured out in your heart before you go because you're just going to take that division and pain with you. It doesn't go away because you've left geographically. So, so in your own heart, if there's somebody, the Spirit would say, this is the person. You need to talk with this person. You need to agree. And maybe for you, it's a matter of saying, I've been prideful. I've been arrogant. I've been cocky. I need to be forgiving. I need to be uh, overlooking offense and love this person. Maybe that's it. Maybe I need to go to that person. Is there a name that's coming on? Let me, let me pray with you right now. And in your own heart, just between you and God, If there's somebody whose name would come forward, if Paul was to write the letter to FAC and he mentioned your name, who would be that other name he would put out there? Please know through the Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit is pleading. Pleading. Too much is on the line that you agree, that you work on it.